Welcome to episode 37 of Collector's Quest, and this is part 2 of how I got my first Super Nintendo. And before we get into that, I want to just remind everybody to go visit our Collector's Quest podcast page. That's Collector's underscore Quest underscore podcast. We have content there that Kat and I don't put on our personal pages. Another thing is if you like what we're doing here, please just go to iTunes and give us a rating. That really helps get the show going, gets us to more people, and helps us keep doing it. Without further ado, here's the conclusion. with my grandmother, and then called Ron to see if I could work the remainder of the summer. As it was 7 a.m., and Ron, who was clearly a drunk, was not awake. I did resort to leaving him a message on his answering machine that told him I was ready to come back to work and would be ready at 3. I managed to mostly avoid my parents, only speaking to them enough to convey I was going to be gone all evening. I didn't tell them I was going back to work, but I'm sure they guessed. It was pretty obvious. As luck would have it, Ron would arrive promptly at 3. Now, there was no callback, so I just kind of waited around and crossed my fingers and got lucky. My return to junior careers was confirmed. I worked until school started, and then I was done. I was more than happy to walk away from that job forever. Turns out forever would be 9 months. While I didn't make enough to buy a Super Nintendo in that 2 weeks, I was actually really close. My birthday wasn't far away either. It was just about a month until October, and my birthday is on the 11th, so, you know, not long. I would finally be a teenager, the Big 13. With this big birthday, I was hoping that I might get enough cash to finally buy the Super Nintendo. Having one bought for me was still out of the question, but hoping for enough cards stuffed with like $13 in them wasn't out of the question. And if I got enough of those, I would be able to swing it. After a disastrous end to August, the end of September was actually looking pretty good. My dad got a job. No one more shocked than me, I assure you. And it looked like we were going to get an apartment of our own. I told my parents if we could only afford one room, I would be fine sleeping within the living room. That would be good enough. That would seem like a villa compared to what we had just endured for the past 14 months. A one-room apartment would be more than enough for me. Somehow, we got a two-bedroom apartment. It was at the Meadowwood Apartments. My parents were on some sort of combination of HUD and my father's salary, and we were able to swing it. I don't know the details. I was positively dancing, though. My soul hadn't felt this light in quite some time. I hadn't had my own room in years. I didn't know what to do with myself. With my birthday now less than a week away, my mother approached me to to discuss what I wanted for my birthday. I wish I could tell you that I was a good enough kid or unselfish enough to not want anything and to understand the delicate situation my family was in, being poor and having just got this apartment. But I wasn't. I was 12 going on 13, and I just had my money taken from me, and I'd worked very hard to try and buy a Super Nintendo. 
All I wanted at that moment in my life was a Super Nintendo. That was it. OCD Focus 100% Super Nintendo. And I told my mother this with all the enthusiasm of a 12-year-old. You know, how hard I'd worked, I told her that. You know, I told her that it was just that last two weeks. I'd gone to work the whole time. I'd been saving. How I'd saved my money again. I told her I nearly had enough. And that all I wanted, not for them to buy the Super Nintendo, was just a little bit of money to put towards it. My secret hope, and the one that I let slide into my mind in the quiet moments before sleep, was that I would actually get enough money to buy an additional game. Like, that was it. That was my big wish. A Super Nintendo and one extra game. That's it. All a 13-year-old wanted for his birthday. My mother explained to me that she felt pretty bad about what had happened before, but she did tell me the money my father took helped them get the apartment. That made me feel a little bit better about it, but it was still pretty, pretty awful, and I was still pretty sore over the whole event. And my father and I had not repaired that rift. We still were barely speaking. She asked me if I understood, and I said yes. I mean, what else could I say? My mother then offered the olive branch. She told me she would take my money and that for my birthday, she would pay the difference between what I had and what it cost to buy the Super Nintendo with Super Mario World. And I guess in my mind, I mean, look, it sounds sappy and stupid, but I was like, everything is forgiven. I was pretty overjoyed. I pulled out my stash, which uh, was the sum total of $186. And I passed it to my mother. The four-day wait until my birthday was maddening. I counted every minute twice. Finally it came, and it had the double pleasure of being a Friday. It was the Friday that my school also observed Columbus Day. It was a three-day weekend. The Holy Trinity. I was good to go. Everything was in place. It seemed like I had all the time in the world for a newly christened 13-year-old to play a Super Nintendo. All I had to do was just wait and be patient for just a bit. My mother told me we had to wait for my dad to get home before we could do anything, so I waited. And then I waited some more. The clock sluggishly moved minute to minute, but eventually time moved enough to allow my dad to come home. He got him from work. And I was told we were going to have dinner, and that after dinner there was to be a small cake, and we were going to my grandmother's the following afternoon for a more proper family party. This was just to be the three of us. I guess the impatience was plain on my face, and it couldn't be stifled. My dad was kind of staring at me, so I just blurted it out that I wanted to open my gift before dinner. I was tired of waiting. And I had earned it. This is probably not my best moment. I was pretty overcome. I was frustrated. I was tired of waiting. I'd waited a whole Friday. My dad didn't have it off. So this one day, which is supposed to be a day off, you know, celebrating Columbus Day, I I just couldn't do anything. I didn't really have friends either. So it wasn't like, go out and hang out with some friends. It was sit in my room and wait. Just wait, 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 wait. So... With me just telling my father I had earned it, he rounded on me quick as a snake. 
He had his face an inch from mine. He took his index finger and just started thumping it into my chest. And he was yelling and spitting each word as only my father can do. He says, did I think that he was going to let some ingrate 12 year old tell him when or how we were going to do anything? I piped up because I'm a smart ass and didn't know how to bite my tongue and said, I'm 13. And this retort from my father is perfect and without hesitation. Who the fuck cares? Sadly, the answer to that question was no one. I was told to get in my room and stay there. And then if he heard me crying, he would come in there and give me something to cry about. So I went into my room. And happy birthday to me. No dinner. No cake. No Super Nintendo. What I had not realized at the time was that I had been duped. My parents never planned on getting me a Super Nintendo. They took my money and flushed it down a needle. It was just another tool helping them get their next fix. I do not regret giving the money to my mother. You might read that and think, God, this kid's an idiot, and didn't he see this coming? But without the ability to trust in others, you're never going to make it through this life. It's just too hard. I have regret over what happened, but it's based on my mother's actions, not mine. Every son should want to trust their mother, their father. In a perfect world, you'd be able to. The next day at my grandmother's just added to what was absolutely the worst birthday I ever had. I got a few cards from family members, and I did get a little bit of money. My loving grandmother bought me a box of cereal. Yes, that's correct. Cereal for my birthday. And I do like cereal, but this isn't like some inside joke where... Oh, hey, grandson, you love cereal so much, I bought you this fun box of cereal, and here's something else, or here's a few boxes of cereal, and I'm poor, so this is what you get. No, it was just like a casual fuck you on my birthday. And my aunt gave me an even better gift, a used Dodger hat that I was obligated to put on my head, regardless of the fact that I was, one, not a Dodgers fan, and two, didn't really care about baseball. My older sister was a no-show, and who could really blame her for missing this awesome party? The cake was white and coconut frosted, which is fine if you like that, but I don't like white cake, nor do I like coconut frosting. In fact, it's kind of universally known that I dislike those things. Time marched on. It was steadfast in its slow-moving slouch, and I endured the party. I wasn't really present. I heard people telling me I should be in a better mood and that you're a teenager now, act your age, and some bullshit commentary about how ungrateful I was. I have never been an ungrateful person, and hearing it for the second time in less than 24 hours, I just snapped. I remember standing up and confronting everyone. What should I be grateful for? Is it for this cake that I hate? This hat that I hate? Maybe I should be grateful for this family. And I stopped myself just before adding that I hate, but I'm sure that everyone pretty much understood it was there. I throw the hat on the ground, I march to the car, I get in the back seat, and I did not speak another word for nearly two days. And mind you, this is my birthday, and what a wonderful three-day weekend it's been so far. The long weekend passed, and finally I was able to escape my bedroom and go to school. Monday morning came and I crept out of the house without an incident. I made my way to the city bus stop and waited for my carriage to arrive. 
I would say school is probably the last place I wanted to go. But now, in actuality, it's ranked as like third least appealing place to go, just beating out my grandmother's and my parents' apartment. My reason for disliking school, nothing out of the ordinary. It was 8th grade and I was in junior high. And being in 8th grade or being in junior high is enough. The school day was pretty uneventful, but like all school days for me, I couldn't wait for it to end. I made sure to catch the late bus home, though. I wasn't grounded. I was just angry. Anywhere in the apartment that wasn't my room meant I could possibly see my parents, and I couldn't look at them. The very sight of them made me ball my fists, clench my jaw, and grind my teeth. I hated everything about them, and try as I might, I could not shake that feeling. Something between us was broken and it was not repairable. Walking the long parking lot to the back of the complex, I got a pleasant surprise when I found my Aunt Carol parked and waiting for me. Normally a visit from Aunt Carol was carefully arranged beforehand by her to minimize any chance of her running into my father. My Aunt Carol is my father's sister, and at this time she is my favorite aunt and my dad's least favorite sister. She was the cool aunt. She was the one who took me to movies, gave me too much candy, bought me comics, and she made sure every birthday that I got at least a $20 bill and every Christmas I got a Nintendo game. She was the best. Her arrival, this is like the best thing to happen to me in days. And if you can recall, one of those days was my birthday, my 13th birthday. It should have been awesome. When I approach the car, she rolls down the window and looks at me and says, get in. No greeting, just get in. Her tone has me worried. I figure she must be angry with me, even though I didn't feel like I'd done anything wrong. I'd been kind of mouthy and stomped around a bit on my birthday, but I didn't feel like it was that bad. Hindsight, it was pretty bad, but not unjustified. I think this feeling of worry is probably the exclusive domain of all children who are spoken to in raised firm tones by an adult. My immediate assumption was that she had talked to my parents and that they had somehow lied to her and twisted the story to cast even more blame on me. With some hesitation, I slid into the passenger seat of my aunt's car, narrowly avoiding, and I remember this clearly, that stupid auto seatbelt. She always had this car with this seatbelt that just kind of choked you or hit you in the face. Anyways, as great as being right is, this is a moment I would have loved to have been wrong. My aunt is a no-bullshit kind of lady, and she'll tell you what's on her mind, and she won't really soften the blow. She's not there to make you feel better. Knowing this, I was not surprised when she asked, Why were you too big of a crybaby to talk to me on your birthday? The look of contempt I gave her pulled the winds from her sails a little bit because she she stops a little short. I think she expected to see shame on my face, to find a boy too old to cry caught in the act. When she didn't see that, she started again, and with a noticeably different tact. What happened on your birthday? I start from the beginning, telling her all about junior careers, the Super Nintendo, the theft of my money by my parents not once, but twice, and what an idiot I feel like for letting that happen. During the telling, I did start to feel shame, and I did cry, probably a few times. The tears then magnify my feeling of shame and stupidity. I know my aunt is not into crying, so I tried to keep it together, but I couldn't. I was at my breaking point. My father would often tell me my aunt was the high queen ice bitch of all the lands. And he wasn't exactly wrong. Her patience for my blubbering and inability to get my story out was at an end. 
She shushed me and asked me one question. What do you want me to do about it, Johnny? And I had an answer ready. I told her I wanted to leave, that I would rather be anywhere else. And I swore to her if she took me, I would be good. I wouldn't ask for anything. I would do anything. And in that moment, I would have sworn an oath. I would have told any lie. I would have broken every promise I had ever made to be taken away from there. It was not to be. I mistook her statement as a question. She said she couldn't take me, and it wouldn't be right that I was just going to have to get through it like everybody else did. My conversation with my aunt degrades from there into incoherent sobs and self-pity that I felt in that moment. It still stings a little today, but what are you going to do? That's, uh, that's how life goes. I was coming unglued. I could feel whatever that inner steel I had go thin and papery. I was no longer strong enough to hold myself together. That strength, it was gone. The next month would be one of the darkest times in my life. My self-esteem would dip to lows that I didn't know I had. I didn't recognize myself physically or mentally. The strong, sturdy material I thought made me who I was had eroded. I'd become a shapeless, purposeless thing. In this wretched time of my life, I gave real consideration to suicide. This be the one and only time I've ever considered it. I'm a strong proponent against it, but I had already gotten to that point. I mean, some background here. I was raised Catholic. Suicide wasn't really an option, but I'd gotten there somehow. Anything seemed better. I wish I could tell you that what kept me away from it was the last remnants of my inner steel coming strong again, the fire of my forge lighting. But in reality, it was fear. It was fear based on all those Catholic teachings. Fear of the pain. Fear of doing it wrong and surviving. Whatever happened, I didn't want to fail and be institutionalized. Or live a life physically maimed. I am thankful that I never had access to a gun during this point of my life. The ease at which I could have made a fatal error is staggering. And if you're curious what stopped me from circling the drain, it was my older sister. She is unlikely a savior as you can imagine. Her name is Megan, and at the time she is 21 years old, married, has a 9-month-old daughter. She shares a house with not just her husband and daughter, but with three and sometimes four roommates. They've got the garage converted, people are sleeping in every single room, they're just struggling to make it. She works off and on, and her husband's in construction. You might have heard it was the recession. It's not a great field to be in. My sister fled our house when she was 16 years old. She went out the window of her bedroom one night and never returned. We knew she was okay and she kind of kept in touch, but my parents never tried to bring her home. I never blamed my sister for leaving. And all my life, I never asked her why. And I probably never will. And I guess I never really have to. I kind of know. It's now early November, about a month after my birthday. My sister comes to the door and I'm relieved. It's not to see her specifically, but to see anyone. My parents hadn't been home in what was about two days. It's not unheard of for them to be gone that long, but it is a bit worrisome. Turns out my parents had found their way to jail. A couch fell off a truck that they were driving behind, and they hit it pretty good. The impact caused them to spin off the freeway, crash into the side of a mountain. They had minor injuries. My mother broke her arm, but both of them would be fine. What wasn't fine was that my parents were both loaded on a multitude of drugs when the police arrived at the scene. 
after they were treated and were taken directly to jail. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. In that two-day span, no one came for me. Not the police. Not CPS. Not a soul. I went to school both days, and nobody even blinked at me. Life went on. No one was concerned. My parents used their one call to try and persuade my grandmother to post bail. That was a big no-go, so they were going to have to see the judge and hope for the best. It did not go well, but it definitely could have been worse. They both spend the next three months in jail. Somehow in all of this, I am never mentioned. No one ever asked where I was or what I was doing. My grandmother obviously knew I had to be somewhere, but she never came for me. She never even called anyone. If my sister hadn't stopped by my grandmother's the day that they had gone to jail to give her a quick visit with her baby, who knows if she would have told anyone. I would like to tell you she definitely would have called or something, but that's very unlikely. My sister took me from the Meadowwood Apartments and I would never return there. I would only live with my sister for about eight months, but they were absolutely paramount in my healing and rediscovery of self-worth. My sister and I never get along when we live together. The age gap between us was just too big. The second go-round was no exception. We fought a lot, but I needed that. I needed someone to lead me into a fight, to kind of rekindle that fire that had been lying dormant inside me. I don't know if she did this on purpose or if it's happenstance, but I'll always be grateful. I did wind up getting a Super Nintendo that year. My Aunt Carol, who I hadn't yet forgiven for stranding me with my parents, sent a card for Christmas. She lived on the other side of town, so she clearly wasn't ready to see me or call me. Be it from guilt, shame, or disgust, I don't know. The card arrived a week early, and it had three crisp $100 bills inside. Not willing to make the same mistake for a third time, I immediately got on my brother-in-law's bike and pedaled down to the local game store. It's called the Game Exchange. It still exists. I walked straight to the counter, and I asked for a Super Nintendo. The shopkeeper there is a pudgy guy named Al. And he told me I was lucky. They had just gotten some in. I don't know if that was just salesmanship or what, but I was thrilled. I left the shop with a brand new Super Nintendo and a copy of Final Fantasy II, which I couldn't be happier to get. The bulk made it impossible for me to ride home. I don't know if you remember the long box Super Nintendo, but it was gigantic. I was content to walk the couple of miles with the bike in hand. At the time, I thought this was my finest hour and that the pendulum of my life had finally swung in the other direction and was going in my favor. But it's true. It was a pendulum. And as all pendulums do, they swing back the other way. By June of 1992, my sister could no longer afford to keep me. We were evicted from the house we were living in. And in an unlikely turn of events, my grandmother agreed to let me sleep on the couch at her house. The peace between us would only last a few weeks. I was cast out of the house and told I was dead to the family. And that's a story for another day, but it's basically a, it's a me being disrespectful and her being rude and mean and cruel and me not liking it. I lived on that rock above the train tracks for about six weeks. In that span, I had managed to get back in touch with junior careers and resume my life as a candy con man. And in that six weeks of homelessness, I did have brief interludes as a normal boy. I had made one friend and he lived close by and he would let me stay at his house while his mom and dad were at work. We played my Super Nintendo endlessly, and if nothing else, it gave me a place to shower and stay out of the heat. From this point of my life, it would get better. It's not in a single leap or a bound, but in a steady upward thrust of switchbacks. It did, of course, have lows. 
There's still plenty of bad things that I had to traverse, but that's the nature of life. It's never going to be perfect. A quick note about that Super Nintendo. It is one of the few things from my past I still own. I have it and the Final Fantasy 2 I bought that day. I don't know how I managed to keep it when I've lost nearly everything else, but I still have it and it's still very special to me. My life had peaks and valleys, but never went nearly as low as the fall of 1991. And I know that this tale seems sad, but I can tell you now then that I'm 25 years removed from this situation. I have no regrets. My life is now better than I could have ever imagined. I served in the military. I graduated college. I completed a Super Nintendo collection. I enjoy unbelievably good friends. And I have a wife I clearly don't deserve. The indignities of my childhood seem like a very pitifully small price to pay to have what I do today. And if I had not gone through all of that, I never would have made it here. So that's my story. And I know it's a bit heavy. And it's not meant to seem like a competition either. And I've had some people reach out to me already and tell me, gosh, they, they feel bad. And now what they went through wasn't that bad. And that's not what this is about at all. It's not me competing against you. People in life have experiences that are centered around themselves and if it was bad for you at the time it was bad it's not bad by comparison it's not like we put here's what happened to johnny and here's what happened to you that doesn't quite rate that's not what it this is please don't feel like you can't share with me your experiences because you don't feel like it was that bad in comparison it was bad for you and you know that's what the gaming community has allowed me to do it's allowed me to share this story collecting is very personal people with a lot of nostalgia, people who reflect on their past, you know, and I, I would love to hear from anyone. And if you went through anything somewhere, God, I'm sorry. Anyways, guys, thanks for listening. Stay tuned next week. Cat will be back with us and we have some more exciting episodes for you. Please remember, use the hashtag CQPix. That way we can do our pick of the week. And I've been meaning to call this out for three weeks and I've totally forgot, but Lord Sega has won our pick of the week, probably for three weeks. Uh, We want to see some healthy competition, though. His pictures were pretty good, and I'll make sure to post those. And you can find me at Johnny underscore Iucci. That's J-O-H-N-N-Y underscore I-U-C-C-I at Instagram. Please follow Catsylvania. You know who she is. Follow her on Instagram. And I'm going to try and condense this episode and the last episode into one and throw that up on YouTube. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing. And thank you for giving me your time. I'll talk to you next week.